interact. It's good to hear your voices and see you encouraging one another. I want to I share another reminder that I forgot to share a second ago. Um, that next Sunday will be the third Sunday of February. And last month, we, we, we started something on the third Sunday of the month, and we'll be doing that again next week. And I want you to begin preparing yourself for it now. Uh, we have, we've dedicated the third Sunday, part of our worship service each month on the third Sunday of the month is going to be dedicated to some time, a time of prayer. And so uh, last month, if you were here, you'll remember we had prayer volunteers in and around uh, the aisles and up front and in the back. And, uh, and one of the things that I said then was that uh, we want to create a culture, uh, continue to build on the culture that we already have, uh, where prayer is normal, where sharing our burdens is normal and praying for one another is normal. That's going to require trust from all of us as we ask people to pray for us. It's also going to require vulnerability from us as we take a step out into an aisle possibly and ask someone to pray for us. And so uh, I know that all of us carry things uh, all the time. And many times we carry those by ourselves and we never share them with anybody. We just bury them a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, hoping that if we push the, that stuff far enough down that it'll eventually go away. And what all of us have learned is that it doesn't actually go away. And so one of the ways that God brings healing to our hearts and souls is through prayer. And so I hope that you'll come next week prepared uh, to be a part of that time. And I also need to tell you as we begin this morning, uh, maybe you saw my Facebook post or, or Instagram post yesterday uh, I need to tell you what this Gatorade is for. Some of you may have walked in. You thought, "Oh, somebody's already sitting here." I didn't know what this. You know what? You didn't know what that was about. So I want to start by telling you what the Gatorade is about. And to to do that, I'll start with a story. Back in 1984, the Chicago Bears, the team, started the practice of of dumping Gatorade on the coach when they did this to co then coach Mike Ditka. I think. We have a picture of another team doing that, but not, not that picture. Forty years later, 40 years after that happened, there are still teams getting, giving their coach Gatorade baths after they win a big game. game. I'm sure you've seen this before, right? And so, of course, you know today is Super Bowl Sunday, the biggest football game of the year. Uh, and a couple of years ago, a different Super Bowl, on a different Super Bowl Sunday, someone shared with me uh, an image. Do we have, are, my, are the slides not there, Chris? Are the slide, my slides not there? They're not? Okay. You can go to my email and find them. I think they're there. Uh, you're not going to see the picture. So I don't know what happened to the, I, I put the slides in this morning. And I'm not sure what happened to them. So there was a, um, there was a, there was a, a meme that somebody sent, sent me a couple of years ago. And it said this. It said, you should be as excited about church as you are about the Super Bowl. So when the pastor makes a good point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. <clears throat> so I have provided you some Gatorade this morning, but it is not to pour over my head or on anyone's head. Though some of you did guess that when I posted it on social media yesterday. This is why this is in the, the seats there. And uh, we're in a series, as you know, call, we're calling Different. Uh, and in this series, we're thinking about the reality that Christians are called to be different, that we're not from here. We live here, but we aren't from here. And last Sunday, if you were here, you'll remember this. If you weren't, it'll kind of catch you up a little bit. This is actually an opportunity to reinforce an, a point that I made last Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about rejoicing greatly. 
in the inheritance that we have received from God. And I ask the question, when is the last time that you have rejoiced greatly in the inheritance that you've received from God? A lot of us have been Christians for a long time, and after you're a Christian a while, you're following Jesus a while, it can be easy to just kind of continue on in the way that you've been doing and to forget the inheritance that you've received. And so th- what this is for is, you know, is to help us celebrate, right? When a team dumps Gatorade on their coach's head, they're celebrating after a, a big win. And so what I want you to do is take this Gatorade, and I want you to consider this week, as you drink this Gatorade, I want you to consider uh, this, this inheritance that you've received. I want you to consider the fact that God has called you his child, that God has said that you are forgiven and that you are worthy. I want you to remember that you have a living hope. I want you to smile as you think about those things, that death is not the end for those that are in Christ, even though we will all die. That this is your inheritance, amen? And, and I, and I want to I just kind of reinforce that point so it actually has nothing to do with today's sermon. It's really to reinforce last Sunday's sermon. If you missed that, you can go back and listen for a bit more context of what I'm talking about. But I want us to remember and to focus on and to rejoice greatly in this inheritance, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are chosen, that you are God's child, and you are a part of God's family. And any that you leave, we'll use at the youth group Super Bowl party tonight. So you, if you don't want it, you can leave it there. That's fine. So with that, I want to turn our attention to our, the next group of verses that we're going to look at in this series. We're walking through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to pick up this morning uh, in 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Before we read there, though, I want to tell you a, a funny story that I heard uh, not too long ago about a grandfather that was reading to his grandson. And in this story, the, the, the grandson is sitting in the grandfather's lap, and the grandfather is reading to him. And as the book was going on, from time to time, the little boy would look up at his grandfather. He would take his eyes off the book, and he would reach up, and he would touch his grandfather's wrinkled cheek. And then he would look book, back down at the book. And then he would look, at, after looking at the book a while, he would look back at his grandfather, and he would touch his wrinkled cheek again. And after doing this a while, he eventually lost interest in the book altogether. And he asked his grandfather a question. He says, Grandpa, did God make you? And Grandpa said, well, yes, he did. God made me a long time ago. Oh, the little boy paused. Grandpa, did, did God make me too, he asked. Yes, he did, the grandpa answered. God made you just a little while ago. And then the boy had another little pause and touched his grandpa's face again. And then he touched his face. And then the boy said, I think God's getting better at it, isn't he? (laughs) Here's the truth about life that I want us to think about today. Getting older doesn't take much work, right? But growing up does. It doesn't matter how old you are today, we are all getting older. It doesn't how matter how much how ma- does not matter how much you resist it or push against it. Getting older happens. But growing up is different. In the verses we'll look at today, Peter talks about this idea and and I really decided to read this a long passage that we're going to read together. So I want you to kind of hang with me. We're going to talk about kind of walk back through this, I have highlighted some of the key ideas that Peter covers in this passage. 
but the key verse that we're going to focus on about growing up in our salvation is at the very end. So you have to really hang with it and listen to what he says to get to the point here at the end. This is what he says. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. For, for, you, for it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that were, you were redeemed, but from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen, Christ, before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I've said before, Jesus coming to earth wasn't God's second thought, right? It wasn't his plan B. It was planned from the beginning. And then he says, though you believe in God, who ra- through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As I said, he says a lot here, but the core, at the core of what he's saying is this. If we are different if we are to live our lives in a different way from those around us, like foreigners, like strangers, like people who live here but are not from here, then it will require that we grow up in our salvation. And there's a lot of people that grow old, but they never grow up. There's a lot of people that grow old, but they never grow up. And that is what I want to talk about today. Because like the story that I told a moment ago, and like that story reminds us, God has the ability to help us grow up. And by growing up, I I mean maturing. I mean just continuing to get better at this following Jesus thing that we're doing, right? But how do we do it? How do we grow up in Christ? Well, uh, Peter has offered several practical ways uh, that this happens. And I'm going to walk back through this entire passage, not in, in its entirety, but pull out a a few verses that I want us to focus on this morning and look at what he says. The first thing that he says, the first principle that I think he gives us about how to grow up in our salvation, he says being different involves, growing up in our salvation involves remembering where our hope is. 
If you're going to live a life that's different from the world around you, what you have already experienced is that you will feel different at times, and feeling different will not always feel good. So the first way you know that you're growing up in the Lord is that your hope is set more on what is coming than what you may be experiencing right now. Peter calls it a grace. Listen again to what he says in verse 13. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Christ's return is a grace because it tells us that this world is not all that there is. So even if your time here is short, even though our time here is short, even though you will inevitably experience hard things in this life, there is something else that is ahead. There is something else waiting us, and, it, and that is a grace, Peter says. So the first thing that he says, first principle that I want us to take away this morning about what happens if we are to grow up in our salvation, what it will mean is that we have to be people who remember where our hope is placed. And I, wanna, I want you to think about this morning, this question, where is your hope set? Have you thought about it before? Where is your hope set? Is it in your status, your job title, what you've accomplished, who you are, and what you are in the eyes of other people? Is it on your influence or on the influence you maybe used to have or maybe the influence you don't have but you wish you had? How much success you've had in your career? How much success you've had as a student? Is your hope set in your bank account or in your appearance or in your possessions or is it set in some someplace else? We can set our hope in a lot of places. And an important question to ask, I think as I was thinking about this question, where is my hope set? And as you consider thinking about where your hope is set, an important question to ask when thinking about that is, how would I respond if my status changed tomorrow? If your hope is set in your job, how would you respond if you lost that job tomorrow? If your status is set in your influence, how much would it change things if you lost that influence tomorrow? If it's set in your bank account, how much would change in you if your bank account read zero tomorrow? If, you're, if your hope is set in your health and that you're active and you're healthy and all of a sudden tomorrow that was completely gone, what would happen to you? If, you're, if your hope is set in your possessions and how much you've accumulated, what would happen tomorrow if all of it was gone, right? And I think our answers to some of those questions have the possibility to reveal a little bit about where our hope is set because we place our hope in a lot of different things and in a lot of different places. We place our hope not in those things, though, Peter says, but in what lies ahead because what lies ahead will never change. Think about it. All of those things that I just said or, or a whole list of others that I didn't say, all of those things can change and many of them will change. But what lies ahead, Peter says, will never change. And this is why it is worth celebrating, with Gatorade even, right? The things that happen in our lives are not problems, but opportunities for God to show up and to show out in our lives. So we have to remember if we're going to be different, if we're going to grow up in our salvation, the first thing we have to remember is where our hope is. The next thing he says comes in verse 15. I want to reread it again. He says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Here's the principle for us. If we are to be different and grow up in our salvation, it will require a commitment to holiness. It will require that you and I have a commitment 
to holiness. And here's the thing about holiness. A lot of times when we hear the word holiness, I don't know how it lands with you when you hear the word holiness or thinking about being holy. But a lot of times when people hear that word, people associate the word holy with a list of things that you are to do or are to not do, right? But I want to I clarify for us this morning that the concept of holiness in the Bible is not primarily about behavior. Behavior is involved. But it refers to something that is unique, that is set apart from common things. You may remember two weeks ago I used the illustration of a toothbrush that as much as I love you and as much as I love Lana, my toothbrush is set apart for my mouth. It's set apart for a, pur- a purpose and a person. It is not set apart for you or your mouth or anyone else's mouth, right? And that's a silly example to help us think about, but that's really what it means. It just means it's set apart for a purpose. It has one purpose, to brush my teeth, and it's set apart for a person, me. And another way to think about this idea of committing ourselves to holiness is really just to say this, and it's kind of an overused, maybe a worn-out phrase, but it's still true, right? We are called to be like Jesus. That's another way to think about holiness. Thinking about holiness like doing what Jesus did, treating people like Jesus treated them, loving people like Jesus loved people. And when we do those things, we are living into what God has called us to be, to be holy. We're committing ourselves to holiness because that's what Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6 says it this way, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so when you live like Jesus, you'll do things that are different from everybody else around you. You'll react in different ways. You'll love people that aren't like you. You'll radically forgive people who might not deserve it. And you won't do any of this perfectly, but that's not the point. The point is that you will be committed to it, that we're committed to holiness. People who grow up in their salvation are committed to holiness, doing it imperfectly, two steps forward, one step back, but committing to it throughout their lives. Look at this example. Peter actually gives this example just a few verses later about, I think, what it looks like to live like Jesus did. And this is is a crazy example thing that he's about to say, so pay attention. First Peter chapter 2, 20 and 21, he says, but he's talking about suffering, okay? He says, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this suffering, so you do something right and then you suffer, right? You make a decision, you have character, you stand up in the moment, you have humility when other people don't. And you suffer as a result of it. You lose something in life. You have something at stake. He says, to this you were called. This is what you were called to, actually. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, what I know about my life, and I know about lots of our lives, is that we avoid suffering at all costs. And Peter says, you are called to enter into suffering with a completely different perspective. Right, You hear it and you're like, what did he just say? How could someone do this, view suffering like this? And I'm sure they didn't do it perfectly when Peter wrote this to these Christians many years ago. But they tried because they were committed to holiness more than they were committed to being right. right? If you do something right and you suffer for it, what is our natural response to defend ourselves, to speak up, to fight back? But if my hope is set in being right, then I wouldn't endure it. I would fight back. I would speak up. 
But that wasn't what Jesus did. Holiness is something that we value, prioritize, and are committed to because we want to be like Jesus. So when someone says to us, why would you do that? Why would you respond that way? Why would you forgive them? Don't you know, don't you remember what they did to you? The answer actually is because this is what Jesus would do. Why would we love the way we love? Why would we forgive so much? Why would we show that much grace to that person? Why would you be generous with your time and your resources? Why would you choose kindness? Because this is what Jesus would do. And I think it's a really important thing to think about holiness this way and to understand holiness this way because here's what I know. So many of us have, were taught that holiness was following rules. That if you wanted to be holy, it, had, it, had to, it was about following rules. But you don't become holy, more holy by following rules. We, think about it this way. We don't, we're not seeking to be holy so that we can be saved. We are seeking to live in a holy way because we have been saved. You hear the difference? We're not seeking to be holy so that God will love us. We are seeking to live in a holy way because God loves us. One is rules, one is a relationship. And the order is really important. Because you were birthed, as he's already said earlier in chapter 1, into a living hope. And then comes holiness. First comes the new birth, you're born again, and then comes holiness. When you were birthed into the kingdom, you were given the Spirit of God to live inside you. So now you have that power at work in your life to help you on your journey to become more holy. Make sense? I have a God. You have a God that loves you. And I want to honor him with my life, right? I want to honor God because I know how much I am loved. Which leads to the next thing that Peter says. As we grow up in Christ and we live different ways from the world around us, we have to remember whose opinion matters the most. If we are going to grow up in our salvation, and man, I need to hear this word this morning, and maybe some of you do too, we need to remember whose opinion matters most. In, in verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says it this way. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. It is easy to forget that the primary voice that matters in your life is God's voice. The primary opinion that matters in your life is God's opinion, not your spouse, not your parents, not your kids, not your friend, not your boss, not your coach, not your dog, right? The primary voice that matters in your life is God's voice. But he's talking about judgment here, but think about probably not the way you're thinking about judgment. He's, he's not talking about judgment in the sense of lost and saved. He's already said you're saved. Your inheritance can't spoil or fade. He's talking about judgment in the sense of who is in charge. God is in charge. God's opinion is the only one that matters. Being different and growing up in our salvation will involve remembering whose opinion matters most. He says that what will be judged actually is our work. Another way I would say that is how we live our lives. What will be judged is how you and I live our lives. And the reason it's so important is because sometimes we lose our ability to be different because we choose to blend in 
And when we choose to blend in, we do that because we are more concerned with the judgments and opinions of other people than we are with God's judgment and opinion of us. And so and sometimes in your life when you live for God and you choose to have character, what, what it will look like is that you'll choose to have character when someone else doesn't have character. You'll choose humility when others do not. You'll choose love when others choose hate. You will choose to loan someone your strength, which is the definition of kindness, right, instead of showing them their weakness. And when you do these things, it may cost you something, but Peter says it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because God's opinion is the only one that matters. And more than that, in verse 21, he says, and God raised Jesus from the dead. That's ultimately how we all know as followers of Jesus that it's going to be okay. So even if it ends in death, even if your choice to be different because you follow God's voice over the voice of someone else happened to end in death, which we don't seem to currently be at risk of in this country, but it might happen at some point in our lifetime. God is taking care of that as well. These Christians were certainly under the threat of persecution, the loss of life. And so he says to them, put your hope in him. And he says to us, put your hope in him. And with that, the last word from Peter in this passage is a word about how we relate to one another. Growing up in our salvation will influence how we interact with each other and how we treat other people, particularly believers he's interested in, other followers of Jesus. And at the core of the life of someone who is different, listen to what he says again in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born Again, here's the, the principle from this, this verse. Growing up in our salvation, living as foreigners here, people who live as foreigners will prioritize loving people from the heart. The evidence that we are growing up in our salvation will be reflected in how we love each other and how we love the world around us. If we are living differently Treating people with love will be normal. And in that kind of world, when you choose to treat people, every person, with the love that God has already bestowed upon them as a child of God, what it will, what it will require is that you and I need a community of people around us because this isn't normal in our world. We, we, we kind of silo off and we get into, we draw lines, we build walls, we want to do whatever we can to try to keep people away from us. And a community is what we will need if we're going to choose to prioritize love, a community that loves us deeply from the heart. The love Peter has in mind is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not even the love you have for a friend. This is what's known as phileo love, brotherly love. And there are some things that get in the way of our ability to love people. And so he actually addresses those in the next chapter, our ability to grow up into our salvation. He says, rid yourself of all malice. This is how you have a, have, take a step toward, a practical step toward loving people more deeply from the heart. You rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Look at, look at these words. Think about the words that he just 
rattles off here and what they can each do to relationships. Malice, evil, right? The desire to do harm to someone. Deceit, which is just dishonesty, not being truthful in your relationships. Hypocrisy is a, a form of dishonesty. Envy, wanting what someone else has. Slander, speaking falsely about someone to damage their reputation. All of these things destroy relationships. All of these things destroy a community. So Peter says, if you're going to love one another from the heart, you're going to have to rid yourself of these things. And the word rid that he uses there is like him describing, it's the same word that you would use to like shed dirty clothes. He says, get rid of these things, strip them off. They're your old clothes. They're your old way of life. And when you meet someone that has done this, that has rid themselves of these things, and you probably have someone in your mind, they are honest, they are loving, they are sincere, they are trustworthy, they keep their word. It honestly can feel quite odd because we enter into, whether we know it or not, a lot of our relationships feeling each other out and always sort of wondering, can I really trust them? And when you encounter someone who you actually realize is sincere, you go, oh, okay, and you let your guard down, right? And it's, it becomes rare, and you're drawn to them. This, this section of verses, is, it's a little different kind of sermon because it's incredibly practical, with, packed with practical teaching. God made some of us a long time ago, and God made some of us a little while ago. And the question for all of us, regardless of our age, is this. Are we growing up in our salvation? That's part of what Peter is asking us to consider. Are we growing up as we grow older? One of the things that I've been thinking about in my life, I think this will require, if we're going to grow up in our salvation, it's not just, it can't just be a passing thought. We have to be intentional. It will require some intentionality. It might even require that you set goals if you're a goal setter. It might even, it might require you, it will, I think it will certainly require that you think about it a little bit. How do I want to grow up in my salvation? The salvation is secure. You're not doing this to earn that. You're doing it as a, it's a maturity process. One recently that I'll just share with you, and I don't really even know where this came from, but I was sharing it with Lana, that I want to grow, as I get older, I want to be more kind than I am today. This is not a knock on anybody here or anybody that's older, but all of us have met older people who feel like they're less kind than they probably were 20 or 30 years before that, right? So what kind of commitments do you want to make as you grow older, which is inevitable, to be a different person? And what steps are you going to take? And I have to think about it. If I want to be more kind at 80 than I am at 42, what am I going to do to get there? Right? And your journey will look different than mine, will look different than the people around you, but it will require you be intentional. It will require you give it some thought. It will require that you maybe set goals, that you give some time to considering how can I grow up in my salvation? And what would that look like for me as God shapes and forms my heart, as I make my heart more available to the Spirit and the work that the Spirit wants to do? If it is to happen, it will require some intentional work on our part. And we're not doing that work to earn anything. We are doing it because we have been loved, not to earn love. Our ability to be different will come from the power that is at work 
within us because we made a decision to follow Jesus. And when we made that decision, we were given the Holy Spirit. If you have not made that decision, we want you to make that decision. It's the most rewarding, life-giving decision that a person can make to follow Jesus Christ. And, and here's, what you, here's what a person gets when they commit to follow Jesus Christ. What you may or may not have even thought about if you've been following Jesus for some time. What a person gets when they commit to following Jesus involves more than just a future hope that death doesn't get the last word over our lives. What we are getting is a relationship that will change our lives right now. That Jesus enters into our lives to lead and to guide and to encourage and to comfort and to restore us when we're broken and to challenge us to get better. And so if you haven't made that decision to publicly announce your faith, to surrender your life in baptism, we want to talk to you about beginning that journey. If you have made that decision, then I want you to think about this week, what do I want to do to grow up in my salvation? Because ultimately, all of us are on a journey to grow up in Christ, to, be, to keep becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus with each passing day. So this morning, citizens of the kingdom of God, my prayer is that you will remember where your hope is and you'll trust in what is coming more than what is happening now. That you'll double down on your commitment to holiness, setting yourself apart for Jesus, not perfectly, but committed to it. On days when you feel pressure from other people, even if it costs you something, may you remember whose opinion matters the most and may we all choose to love one another deeply from the heart. Rejoicing in what God has done and rejecting selfish behaviors that destroy relationships and embrace Jesus' way of loving people because you have tasted and seen that that way is good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power that is at work in us, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is now at work in us. What a humbling and overwhelming thought. What an inheritance we have received that we want to celebrate and rejoice in today. And as you call us to deeper places, God, I pray today that you will work on our hearts, that you'll convict us maybe today of some areas where we need to grow up while we're growing older where we need to mature, where we need to let go of some things, where we need to lay some things down, where we need to trust you more fully. God, I don't know where it is. My prayer this week has been that in this incredibly practical sort of repetitious sermon that you would use these words from Peter to continue to touch hearts, that you would give each of us a word from you, that we might hear how it is you want to continue to draw us into deeper places with Jesus. We're thankful, Father, that you continue to pursue us, that you love us, that you've called us your children, and we're thankful for the inheritance that we've received. We pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus, and the church said, amen. All of this is possible because we have a good, good Father. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to sing that song. I would encourage you to sing out uh, as we sing these words together this morning. I 